It's Wednesday, September the 2nd, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, Trump inspects wreckage in Wisconsin and Asian manufacturing regroups. First, the world in brief. President Donald Trump travelled to Kenosha, Wisconsin for a tour of shops damaged during the riots which followed the shooting of an unarmed black man by a police officer 10 days ago. Mr Trump expressed support for the police and spoke barely a word about the shooting. In an interview broadcast on Monday night, the president had echoed online conspiracy theories about plane loads of thugs sent to sow discord by people in the dark shadows. The Trump administration said it will not participate in a global program to develop and distribute a COVID-19 vaccine because the World Health Organization is involved. Mr. Trump thinks it is in China's thrall. Some 170 other countries may join the COVAX scheme. Separately, a World Economic Forum poll found that a third of Americans would refuse to be vaccinated. Asia's manufacturing sector showed signs of recovering from the region's COVID-19 lockdowns. The Caxin Market Manufacturing Purchasing Managers Index for China rose to 53.1 last month, the highest figure recorded since 2011, from July's 52.8. A score of 50 or above indicates expansion. The equivalent indices for India and South Korea also rose. South Korean prosecutors indicted J.Y. Lee, the vice chairman and de facto boss of Samsung, for accounting fraud and share price manipulation. The charges, which he has denied, concern a merger of the two of the conglomerate's affiliates in 2015. Ten other current or former executives were also indicted, but the court denied prosecutors' request for an arrest warrant for Mr. Lee. Charlie Hebdo, a French satirical magazine, republished cartoons of the Prophet Muhammad that sparked a jihadist massacre at its offices in 2015. Twelve died there, and five in related killings days later. Today the trial of 14 alleged accomplices begins. The magazine's cover features the cartoons, and the headline Tout ça pour ça. All that for this. Israel and Hamas, the Islamist group that governs the Gaza Strip, reached a de-escalation agreement. Israel will reopen the border crossing and let Palestinian fishermen return to sea. Hamas will stop firing rockets and sending explosive-laden balloons across the border. Qatar mediated and transferred cash to Gaza to help seal the deal. And Paul Ruzasu Bujina was arrested and is in custody in Rwanda for alleged terrorism-related offences. His daughter says he was kidnapped in Dubai. Mr. Ruzapujina sheltered hundreds of people in the hotel he managed during the genocide in 1994, a story told in the film Hotel Rwanda. Since then, he has been a critic of the country's president, Paul Kagame. And now, here's today's agenda. Anyone's guess, America's budget deficit. Today, the Nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office publishes its fiscal forecast for the next decade. The CBO will show what impact forecasts of weaker economic growth, linked largely to the coronavirus pandemic, will have on government revenue and spending. In July, the CBO reckoned that from 2020 to 2030, annual real GDP would be 3.4% lower than it had projected in January. So expect forecasts of much higher public debt in the coming years. The big question 
is whether America can sustain it. For now, the government can borrow at ultra-low rates, meaning that debt service costs remain low by historical standards. Most economists expect those circumstances to continue for some time. There is large and growing demand for ultra-safe assets, in part from future pensioners, and there is no safer asset than American government bonds. But America cannot count on those conditions lasting forever. Looking the other way, Facebook in India. Facebook, no stranger to political rows, will address its latest today. Company representatives will appear before India's parliamentary panel on information technology over accusations that it has gone too easy on hate speech posted by the country's ruling party, the BJP. A Wall Street Journal report last month revealed that Facebook's top India public policy executive had intervened to stop the site from taking action against a legislator from the Hindu nationalist BJP who had written hateful posts about Muslims. With 300 million users, India is home to more Facebookers than any other country. The company further deepened its investment in April by taking a 5.7 billion US dollar stake in Geo Platforms, an Indian telecommunications giant. Facebook's boss Mark Zuckerberg has spoken about his reluctance to moderate content posted by politicians. Perhaps a sign that this controversy has already shaken the firm, its top executive in India has acknowledged the site has fallen short on curbing hate speech. No quick fix. Australia's economy. Data released today show that Australia's 28-year run without a recession has finally come to an end. Economists forecast that GDP shrank by 7% quarter-on-quarter in the three months to June, when much of the country was in lockdown. This marks the second successive quarter of contraction. The slump is less severe than in most rich countries because Australia did well in containing its first wave of the virus. But a second spike in the state of Victoria, which accounts for about a quarter of the economy, has scuppered hopes of a quick recovery. Its second, stricter lockdown has sent unemployment soaring. The restrictions were supposed to be lifted in a fortnight, but the state's Labour government say that that may be too soon. It's still uncovering about 70 new coronavirus cases a day. Victorians will be told this weekend whether they must stay at home for longer. Chinese SWATs, ranking universities. The latest edition of the World University Rankings, an annual report republished by Times Higher Education, a British weekly, comes out today. In recent years, Asian universities have been climbing the international league tables at the expense of Western ones. Chinese institutions are doing particularly well. Last year, THE declared Peking University and Tsinghua University, both in Beijing, to be the best across all Asian countries. The pandemic will probably accelerate those trends. Among other woes, universities in America, Australia and Britain are having to deal with a big decline in international students. Their number had risen to around 5 million, up from about 2 million in 2000. But this year, travel restrictions and campus closures have discouraged youngsters from studying abroad. The Institute for Fiscal Studies, a British think tank, predicts that COVID-19 could cost Britain's universities around £11 billion or $14.75 billion US dollars, equivalent to a quarter of the sector's annual income. Easing the door ajar, the Vatican reopens. For Pope Francis, 
who was used to mingling with the crowds after his general audiences, COVID-19 has meant unaccustomed isolation. Since March 11th, the meetings, if they can be called that, have been held in his library and streamed online. But today, the Vatican will take a step back towards normality when it readmits members of the public. Before the pandemic, and depending on the weather, the weekly audiences were held either in St Peter's Square, which can accommodate up to 80,000 people, or in a hall nearby that seats 6,300. Today, the faithful will be shepherded to a courtyard inside the Vatican that cannot take more than a few hundred if socially distanced. The Jesuit Pope used his last virtual audience to preach that COVID-19 had highlighted and aggravated social inequalities and divided those who could and could not go to school or work from home. Expect more pandemic-themed sermons to come. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Theodore Roosevelt, who died on January 6th, 1919. Speak softly and carry a big stick. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app, or by asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you'll have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.